Okay, welcome back to the Paperless Federalist. I'm Justin. And I'm Kerry. All right, Kerry, we are back this time with Federalist number 11, uh, the utility of the union in, the re- in respect to commercial relations and a Navy uh, for the Independent Journal, Alexander Hamilton, to the people of the state of New York. Uh, Kerry, um, I probably owe you a few, but uh, I did do the five-minute summary last time with uh, number 10, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look so to you. So we're keeping score now. So I, I'm clearly in debt, and I know that, but um, that said, I'm still going to – Still going to ask you to take the reins on the, uh, well, the summary this time, if you don't mind. In the spirit of Alexander <laughs> Hamilton, I will extend additional credit to you and take on your debts like like uh, the national government took on the state debts after the Constitution. So I'm, I'm more than happy to <laughs> give a quick review of this paper, number 11. Um, so, you know, the, the title of it actually is a pretty good descriptor of what it's about. It's about two things. Uh, it's about uh, number one, Hamilton is stressing that America will have or the states will have better ability to in, involve themselves in world commerce and make money for their citizens and for their government as a united whole rather than as separate states. And as a whole rather than separate states, they will have a more efficient and effective and useful navy. And I think we can go we'll go into more depth with this after the summary, but. Generally speaking, what he's talking about in regards to commerce is that, well, if the states remove the barriers between themselves as states and just have an external barrier between all of them as a whole and the rest of the outside world, they'll have a better ability to bargain with Europe and and, uh, other trading partners as a whole rather than as separate entities. It'll cost them less to enforce their uh, trade tariffs and uh, and uh, rules, and they will also have better a uh, better ability to impose uh, um, taxation and raise revenues off of that trade. But again, primarily the main benefit in this paper that he talks about, because he follows on in twelve with more about uh, the tariffs and revenues. The main point in this paper is that. The trading will be more effective if they do it as a whole rather than separate in separate parts. And then getting back to the Navy, again, the Navy is talking about, well, you know, a Navy is one of those things that you sort of have to have to engage in commerce. You know, most of the commerce of um, the individual states out is going to be traveling over water. I mean, yes, the states will be trading amongst themselves over land, but, you know, when you're talking about trading with England, trading with France, etc., they're going to need a navy to protect that trade and to enforce their rights. And also, in uh, global commerce, uh, they're going to need a navy to protect their traders and their merchants. And, you know, while you could make the argument, and the argument certainly was made, that the individual states could protect their territory but view through individual militias, it's a lot harder to have individual navies for each state uh, that would perform the same functions as a national navy. So I think that's really the core of it. You know, he's talking about, hey, if in comparison to the Articles of Confederation or in comparison with um, being even more separate than the Articles as being individual states, um, the all of the states together would have a much better chance of asserting themselves in commerce and in naval power as a united whole. And that's it. The one and the two, commerce and navy. There you go, commerce and navy. All right. Well, let's um, let's let's start the deep dive. Uh, although the waters, 
I think in this one are a little bit shallower than uh, perhaps 10. Well, they seem to be an issues that you're, there's not going to be as much of a contentious argument about. I know that yeah. uh, there was definitely two sides of uh, 10 for, for the yeah. two of us. Yeah. But it's hard to argue with some of these points. I think it might be easier to just discuss what he's talking about. Okay. Unless, unless you're prepared to come out and say that we don't really need a Navy. Uh, although um, Air Force is in my lineage, uh, although myself not, not having served, um, I, uh, uh, I can't disparage the Navy. Uh, That's a good I mean, thing. <laughs> this, is, this is our Navy episode. You know, I, um, I recognize uh, its need, and I think, I think he makes a good, good argument for it. Let's see. Where do, so where do you want to where do you want to start off here? Well, let's start with the Navy then. I mean, I've tried to set the scene for our discussion today by putting a small naval vessel model. You know, I didn't even think about that. Out in front of yeah. us to set the scene, set yeah. the tone. Uh, this is a an episode where we're recording live together. Okay. Yeah. Than over yes. the internet, so we're ready here to discuss the Navy. And uh, okay. I can. This is. I mean, it's hard to argue with him about this being a with the Constitution and a unified government. Being better able to make a unified navy because the you know okay. one of the things that was said by the yeah. the individual colonies is well to defend ourselves we don't need to have a national army that will inhibit liberty by having mm-hmm. the standard army we'll just have all these men and men essentially that yeah. if we ever get invaded we'll rouse the men and men they'll go and grab their muskets and we'll defend our land and if we need to we can go defend our neighboring states. Um, mm-hmm. And we're not going to need any standing army because we're never going to invade other countries. And that could make sense. But it doesn't make the same sense with the Navy. Nope. Because if you have, say, each diff- each state have their own Navy. You know, New York has its frigates. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Carolina has a brig. Rhode Island has a guy in a rowboat with a musket. <laughs> I mean, What's... then in that situation, <laughs> they're going to have their individual ships. <laughs> To maybe defend their shores, yeah. But you know, you don't really accomplish the goals of a navy if you're just guarding your own coast. I mean, that might get you your true. customs duties. But the problem the United States was having back then was the very nature of trade is it's going away from your shores. It is. It is. And so let's let's walk through a little bit. I, I guess I tend to think chronologically sometimes when I go through these. And in in Hamilton, he starts off and he bases, look, Europe, Europe, Europe. Well, Europe's worried, guys. Hey everybody, Europe's worried, right? Um, and and he says, you know, they want to shut us down, and there's there's three because they think it's superior. There's three four reasons why they're going to want to do that. Okay. Okay. One, he says, look, preventing our interference in their navigation. Two, monopolizing the profits of our trade, and three, basically, he says, clipping our wings. Okay. Uh, and you know, and so we can kind of unpack that a little bit. And so, you know, when he talks about um, preventing our interference in their navigation, you know, he gets into this paper and he starts to say, look, if we have a strong, if we're unified in trade and we're unified as one nation, then what we're going to be able to do is we're going to be able to bargain with Europe and we're going to be able to dictate some of the terms in which we, in which we uh, trade with them. And, and, he says, and he puts out the example, says, look, what if we had some, some sort of national... Uh, trade, which prevented Britain from from even trading directly with us. We just said, no, we're not going to trade with you, Britain. Then they'd be forced to shuttle all their, and basically use the Netherlands, right? It was the Netherlands, I think, in his example in the yes, paper? Yes, yes. Um, to, 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 to send their goods to us. To, they'd have to go through the Netherlands to then have the Netherlands bring the British goods to us. 
and we'd buy the British goods through the Netherlands. And he says, look, the reality is well, that would cut into British their, their profits because they would they would be using someone else's ships. They'd be, you know, the Netherlands would be taking a cut of the profit off the top uh, and it would damage Britain economically. But if the individual states were trying to negotiate some type of, you know, trade barrier uh, with any one country in Europe, they would be nowhere near as effective. And essentially, basically trying to get the American states to unionize, pretty much collective bargaining. It is. It's it, exactly. It's collective bargaining. The other thing then is, he, you know, says we get to be, we can get we can get the different countries in Europe to be bidding against each other and drive the costs of goods down, uh, which would only benefit people here in the states. Um, and so all that, I mean, tell me if you if you want to debate any of this and and stuff, <laughs> but all that seems pretty reasonable to me. I think he's on Except point. Except that later on it failed. How so? It failed. What failed? In what way? It, these are all delusions of Hamilton. Okay. That I mean, I don't debate that. Yes, obviously you have. A you're anti-union. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> I heard you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Kerry is anti-union. I'm just saying that <laughs> Hamilton overestimates America's power this early on. Obviously, oh. yes, America collaboratively as a country has more bargaining power yeah. than individual states. But Thomas Jefferson found out down the road that it didn't have too much bargaining power as a nation either. <laughs> I mean, and this, you know, under Thomas Jefferson mm-hmm. administration, that was the very nature of the problem is the Napoleonic Wars were going on. Yeah. Both the French and the British were sniping American ships mm-hmm. and uh, taking American ships and merchants, uh, you know, as prizes. You know. And he said, and Thomas Jefferson, what he did, his idea was... Well, I'm going to embargo all of you to teach you a lesson, and it hurt America far more than either of them. Okay. Well, I am. Um, because that's something that Hamilton yeah. also thinks in here is, well, they obviously need our market so much yeah. that they would not dare risk angering us. No, and, that's the next part he talks about. And, and they, they did. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it well, didn't hurt him that much. Well, according, we'll get into the next. So the next point Hamilton mentions is is this idea that Europe is going to be coming over to what was then known as the West Indies. Um, yeah. And and he says, look, they're going to get down there. And the other gonna, British colonies. The other British colonies, right? The West Indies. And and there might be a skirmish. There might be a dust-up. And and what we're going to be able to do, even if we have a limited navy, even if our navy is, is not world power, world elite right out of the gate, as long as we have, you know, a half dozen decent ships – uh, 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 you know, we can we can throw we can throw it on the side of the you know to the, whoever wants who wants to buy it, you know we'll, we'll pitch in on whoever the highest bidder is of whatever conflict happens to be going on and a couple of ships from our side on the line on that side could tip the scale in favor of the war or alternatively they could buy us off and we'd stay out of the conflict and and we just have so much influence on world affairs with our you know burgeoning navy now I mean. Obviously, the Navy today is has kind of influence war affairs, but mm-hmm. he's talking about the time. Just even for smattering of frigates that yes, existed you know, in America, um, the several hundred ships of the line of the British were hardly quaking in their hulls <laughs> at the thought of that. Of, of, and of, again, of of the U.S. ships joining the opposition. <laughs> now, I I am a lover of U.S. heavy frigates of the line at that okay, time, is, right. or not the line? That's a misnomer. I love U.S. heavy frigates like the Constitution, but. There was only like six of them or so, <laughs> even I think at the, I mean, six of those yeah. uh, holes built. But again, I have to love Hamilton's cockeyed optimism here, thinking <laughs> he is, that 
hundreds just, of ships of the British and the French are going to be warring, but, and we're going to throw a handful in, and all of a sudden, it's going to change everything. His his optimism here is is on the level of John Jay's optimism from earlier on about how every, everyone in America is the same, and we're all joined together in this brotherhood of, of man. And we have inflowing rivers. I know how you love the rivers. Wasn't that in here again, too? I <laughs> so, think he echoed that. Well, he may have. That might be why I'm bringing it up. But he goes on and talks, and, and Hamilton says, now think, and he, say, he, he puts the hypothetical in the paper next, and he says, well, what if, you know, if we were separate, you know, and, and what would happen is if there happened to be a dust-up between two other world powers near us, they would come over here, and they would just essentially invade whatever they needed to do and take, take from America whatever they wanted to or take from whatever from whatever the states if we weren't linked together, or if we were some or some sub sections of of confederacy, yeah, continuation just, of what's been talked about you know, before, and of they just just pick off what they concrete. want, yeah, and they would and, and and we would not have the power to expel them, and and you need to have force to enable to be able to enforce neutrality. Like you can't be neutral if you can just be bullied and run over um, as a nation. That's why you need a navy, and that's navy. why in Hamilton is what he's saying is you need. You need to have your navy. So, where does he go from there, then? Well, I, I'd like to bring. I'd like to go mention ahead. the uh, the uh, the rivers and hams get brought up again right before the navy. He says these are the rights of great moment oh. to trade. I allude to the fisheries, the navigation there of the western go. lakes, and that of Mississippi. Oh wait, that's not it. There, there is. Where is it? It's somewhere in here. He again <laughs> right. was talking about how he says, you know, look, we're going to have to deal with the end of the Mississippi and Spain's. Issues down there. Um, France and Britain want to go in through uh, uh, and come over and take over a, a chunk of our fisheries and to navigate them. Oh, it's in 12 that you mentioned. I'm sorry. So, all right. Well, teaser, spo- uh, teaser slash spoiler. We get back to. I got so excited. When I know. We to, 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 be able to, to be able to talk about John Jay and his, his cockeyed optimism again. I mean, I agree with his points, but I think he overestimates the strength of America compared to France and Britain at this time. I you know I get what he's saying that it's definitely going to be more uh, more useful to America to have a common bear common tariff barrier common commerce uh, with mm-hmm. one another you know and, and, and any barriers would only be with the outside but again at this time the American economy compared to England and France it, we had a lot of land we didn't have a lot of people in that land and you know we were. You know, we were definitely the David to the British Goliath at that time. Yes, and I am sorry. One other point he makes, he talks about if we don't, if we can't assert ourselves globally with our own carriers, we're going to be relegated to just buying whatever we can from Europe at whatever price they want to set. Mm-hmm. And and we essentially he calls it we'd be engaged in and confine us to passive commerce, um, where we really wouldn't be able to. Um, have a presence on the world stage as an economic power. And even then... And by passive you know, commerce, I think what he's meaning there is, in the context of everything else he talks about, is mm-hmm. that it's not going to be American ships taking American goods to other shores to buy, sell, and trade them. And at best, America's going to make things or take crops to the ports, and they're going to have to rely on the ships and the merchants of other countries to come and get them and take them other places. 
And that's going to limit America to being on the very bottom rung of commerce, only being yes. the producer of the raw materials, and never going to be able to develop a merchant class. That's true. Yes. Well, you get you get what uh, Hamilton and the American the Americans are all been out of shape about here, don't you? They're angry at the consequences of their own Brexit at the time. <laughs> Seriously, because it's it's almost the exact same situation. All right, flush that out for me. Because again, in our times. You have Great Britain that used to be part that was part of the European Union. Yeah. And the whole idea of the European Union is this common trade unit that has no barriers among itself. Yeah. Everyone can trade between themselves and, and you know, all of their economies can prosper from this free trade zone. Mm-hmm. And people trading from outside with Europe don't get that same benefit. So Britain's pulling out right now in the process, and it's concerned that, well, if we pull out, are we going to have the same trade benefits? Well, no, you're not because you're mm-hmm. leaving. Similarly, America back then was part of the British system. We were a British colony. We were, you know, part of the empire. Yep. And so, of course, as part of the British Empire, America got great rights to go travel to and from the West Indies, load up on sugar, sell them food, mm-hmm. you know, send finish, send other goods over to Britain. Um, because we were part of the club. Mm-hmm. And then I think a lot of the Americans were stunned, stunned to learn that as a side effect of the revolution, all of a sudden they're having a harder time trading with... <laughs> why would you get it, let us have the same trading rights with the West Indies as we used to? <laughs> because you left. That's the problem. You left. Yeah. And now this is why so, they're waking up and saying, oh... Dang. If you don't want the protection of the crown, you're not yeah. going to enjoy the benefits. You can't take the king's shilling yeah. and then uh, spite the king. There you go. Um, so the best part here, I thought it was, well, maybe not the best. No, the, I, was, I, I take that back. The best part is his is the closer on this paper. But I want to touch base on one other thing. Well, Hamilton, so we can't get the closer before we touch the Navy again. No, no, no. We're, we're talking about the Navy here. And he talks about, look, we're going to have this Navy and all parts of the nation are going to benefit. Because each part of, of, of the colonies or sections of, of the nation, as it's proposed, has uh, a unique ab- amount that it can contribute to the Navy. All right? And he mentions how in the South they have tar and pitch and turpentine uh, and abundance of, of, of really good wood. He's basically uh, rounding off an assembly manual of what you need to build ships. Yes, but he said, look, a lot of the natural resources are down in the South. Okay, and they've yeah. got the best wood that make the, the hulls stronger, the ships would last longer, the tar and the pitch and the turpentine. And he said the, uh, the middle of, of, of the country, you know, just has really good iron and plenty of it and, and of a high quality, right? <laughs> Talking to, talk, looking at you, Pennsylvania. All right. <laughs> you We're looking at Pennsylvania you. Pennsylvania pitch. All right, looking at you, Pennsylvania. Um, but but the Justin's from Pennsylvania originally, by the way. Well, no, I'm not. No, no, no. You got no. the Pennsylvania roots. I'm I do sorry. Pennsylvania roots. Pennsylvania yes, roots. yes. Family, families from around Pittsburgh, and my grandfather was in the steel mill. So um, of course. But and the other one in the coal mine. But the um, what I was going to say was, uh, the the best part here is is you get that that elitism, the intellectual elitism, leaks out here a little bit on Hamilton's part. How because so? because he goes so seamen must chiefly be drawn from the northern hive. First off, he refers to Upper New England as a hive. But the the better part <laughs> is that this con this idea the concept that any quality seamen has got to come from Upper New England. Like they, you couldn't find someone that knew how to steer a ship in the South or, or in the Midwest. They don't know anything about water in the South. <laughs> 
you want to get a sailor, you go to Massachusetts. You go to Massachusetts, right? Okay. It's obvious. So obvious. Well, he's also <laughs> writing it to the people in New York. He's got to give them the benefit. Okay. All right. So the brains are up in New England, and we'll go get the raw sort the raw sources for the ships in the Navy from the South and the Midwest. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. Well, this whole thing reads like <laughs> this reminds me of nothing so much as the idea of like the Congress person who's like. Make sure that well, I gotta make sure that the guns for this tank is built in this district, yeah. and then the treads are gonna be built here. It just reads like that of this, you know, military project's gotta have support for every little district. So mm-hmm. that's what he's trying to do mm-hmm. here is spread the wealth. Well, all, everybody's gonna have to create some jobs in their own district in order to build these ships. So of course you want to gather and build these ships on the line. You're gonna have a lot of great financial opportunities by doing it. I mean, I, I just. View it as Hamiltonian pork barrel politics. Pork barrel politics. Yeah. <laughs> Bringing home the so bacon I, before you even really technically aware have... of what special trees that the South has. Oh, well, I mean, Hamilton must have been, uh, what's it, arborist, right? You know, I that, mean, the uh, last I knew, oak trees could grow in the northern climates <laughs> as well as the South. Unless they've opened up mahogany plantations or something down there. You know. That's even better. I mean, 200 years earlier so that the trees would be big enough to build ships with. Yeah. Maybe they had foresight. Who knows? As far as I thought, uh, you know, the the ships of the line at the time and the the frigates were built of oak. And, you know, I'm not – the north is the north, but it's not the tundra. You can grow trees there. At least the last I checked, I've, yeah. I've been to I've been to some other northern states. I mean, we're not talking Alaska here. You can grow trees in the north. I've been to Alaska. wastelands. <laughs> I've been to Alaska. They have trees there too. Well, but not oak trees. Uh, I know. I'm just. just... Anyways, let's see. Then he talks about the unrestrained intercourse between the states. It, you know, he just says basically like the free flow of goods. Everyone's going to benefit. Um, everyone's going to be better off. Well, if we're talking about the Navy again, I wanted to finish yeah. my earlier Go point ahead. about yes. the yeah. Navy. So, of course, when you have a Navy, that involves ships. Mm-hmm. And so, again, if you have individual... Last I checked, but, you know, they've got that new branch now called the Marines. Those guys like to go on land But they're not the Navy. That's a separate branch. No, I thought they were part, like, a sub-branch of the Navy. They... Have they officially broken off? They've always been a separate <laughs> service. <laughs> I don't know. Look, at the end of the day, air superiority. That's what you got to have. Starting with the halls of Montezuma, <laughs> all the way to the shores of Tripoli. They've been a, they're a separate service. All right. I thought somebody told me the other day that the Marines People get part of the Navy. They travel on ships, but yeah. they're a separate service. You know. Um, but we're going to stick with the Navy now. We'll argue the Marines another time. <laughs> all right. Um, so really, anyways, really, I think what's coming through is my Air Force bias here is, is, is it's being really demonstrated. Showing. It's really crude. <laughs> Crude and nice, very insulting to you know seaborne armed services. So yes, ships. <laughs> Got and individual, ships. <laughs> individual states, of course, can build ships. Mm-hmm. But not, point number one, ships require tremendous resources even to build one. So individual states probably could not build. An individual state would probably not build, be able to build as big of a ship. Mm-hmm. I mean, they might be able to build like a two-masted brig or a sloop. But to, <laughs> or the rowboat from Rhode Island. <laughs> well, yeah, Rhode Island, they only they had a rowboat. They probably only about like one oar for that boat. But, you know, we've actually had some people listen to us on Rhode Island, <laughs> and I gotta say, I don't know where this this Vic and vitriol comes from <laughs> on your part. Rhode, Rhode, Island. Went, Rhode Island was the they were so trying, apologies to Rhode Island listeners <laughs> from Justin only. Uh, of course, obviously, <laughs> but to build a ship of the line, for mm-hmm. example, you know, mm-hmm. multiple decks. You know, mm-hmm. 
70 guns or so. Mm-hmm. That takes a tremendous amount of resources. You mm-hmm. know, building the equivalent of a battleship or an aircraft carrier at the time. Mm-hmm. It'd be hard for a single state to do it on its own. But even if it can, even if you get, say, New York puts a ton of resources into voting a ship of the line, mm-hmm. the New York ship, New York, mm-hmm. then a ship on its own is not nearly as useful unless you put it as part of a fleet. And to form fleets, you're going to have to need the nation working together. Yeah. And even then, say, New York builds a fleet of whatever size their temptation is going to be like the same temptation as with militias to keep them near the house, near near the home waters, near, home waters, near yeah. New York. But mm-hmm. the whole point of commerce is it's going other places. And some of the very early problems the United States had uh, due to the weakness of this Navy was with pirates in the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. um, privateers, or even naval actions by the French and the British in the West Indies. You have to have a united Navy to go out and protect your ships against that. And the individual colonies and states yeah. aren't going to be as willing to do that because they're not going to want to risk their share. And what if what if you have the New York ship of the line in the Mediterranean? And, that has a problem. Yeah, and there's a Pennsylvania merchant there. Mm-hmm. Are they going to protect them? Are they going mm-hmm. to charge them a fee for it? Mm-hmm. You need a united... A Navy is one of those collective resources that you really have to have a united country to establish. I mean, I cannot imagine the difficulty of trying to have state navies... That'd be very difficult. Yeah. I think Kentucky could have an interesting state navy because we just have to patrol the river. That might be actually entertaining and enjoyable. But as far as patrolling, <laughs> patrolling overseas stations, then that's going to be much more difficult. You can't do that with paddle wheelers. No. So definitely there's a real interest in having a united navy there. and Because that was a real problem even before and after the Constitution is you know, both French and British... Uh, naval vessels preyed on and captured and t- took as prizes literally hundreds of American merchants. And the Americans would protest, again, a lot of it was under Jefferson, mm-hmm. but even started under Washington. You know, the Americans would protest and say, you can't do that to us. Yeah. And they, the British and French would pretty much respond, you and what Navy is going to stop us? Let me, let me, I want to jump back real quick because you referenced a good, I think, if you know it well enough, and I, I off the top of my head, I can't recall it. You mentioned pirates in the Mediterranean. Problems. The Barbary Coast pirates. The yes. problems that we've had, or we had at the time. Flesh that out a little bit in case nobody who's listening to this for some reason doesn't remember. Um, well, that was that was more than that was a problem that occurred more than one time on the the north coast of Africa. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a lot of pirate states at the time, mm-hmm. um, and they were you know a bunch of sultans, emirs. You know, mm-hmm. it was the remnants of uh moorish africa you know islam Mm -hmm. africa uh and literally ships that were coming through the area unless you paid them protection money Mm -hmm. they would sail out or in some cases row out and take your ships and they would capture the ships capture the goods sell those off and not only that and you know more dangerous and insulting for a country the crews and passengers they would sell into slavery. So you had American crews and passengers who were literally taken into the Mediterranean and put into slavery in North Africa wow. because of the. And so you can see how it's a big issue. Uh, it's not just an issue of money; it's an issue no, of protection, yeah. protect, protecting your citizens. And it was something that America constantly went back and forth with. You know, 
originally the way to solve it was just by paying the protection money mm-hmm. uh, to the Barbary pirates. But eventually, um, they engaged in military actions. That's where that uh, Shores of Tripoli line of the Marine Corps anthem <laughs> comes from. Of course. There was an American ship captured when it was run aground. And so an American expeditionary force was launched. And this is, again, many years after the Constitution was signed and ratified. But they went and burned the ship that was captured and attacked the... Uh, the uh, the country the Barbary pirate group that uh, took yeah. it and uh, were able to s- deter a little bit more in the future or show there was a cost to engaging with America. So uh, let me wrap up one more point then before before we jump into the Hamilton's closer. Um, okay. And I know I built it up a bit, so I hope that uh, it's, it's not let good. down. But he says <laughs> real quick. He says, look, you know, if if the states are disunited or in the confederacies. The trade between them would be fettered, interrupted, narrowed by multiplicity of causes, which, of course, in these papers we've already amply detailed. And and we've talked about it on other times when talking about this paper, so mm. I don't really see the need to, to re-go through those. Yeah. So so if you want another uh, uh, explanation, you know, see the collective works of, of the paperless federalists. Right? <laughs> so, Supra. But, Supra. <laughs> so this, this is the part, though, that, that I, I, I really... Just I had to laugh out loud when I was listening to it and, and, and reading it. He goes, there's another point that he wants to get into, and he says, and this, I'm just going to read this part. He goes, the world may politically as well as geogra- geographically be divided into four parts, each having a distinct set of interests. Unhappily for the, the other three, Europe, by her arms and by her negotiations, by force and by fraud, has, in different degrees, extended her dominion over all of them. Africa, Asia, America have successfully felt her domination. The superiority she has long maintained has tempted her to plume herself as the mistress of the world and to consider the rest of mankind as having been created for her benefit. And, I, I mean, he's just laid it out there for Europe. It sounds like okay. he's getting ready to make common cause with the Native Americans, so, acting like they've uh, they've never... Oh, we don't, we're not part of Europe at all. So... So the the best, you know, um, he, he talks basically like you know even animals and the human species degenerate in America and 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 that you know this is it's it's timing goes it belongs to us and he's, he's trying to rally the country to come together it belongs yeah. to us to vindicate the honor of the human race and to teach that assuming brother referencing Europe moderation and union will be able enable us to do it. And he just essentially saying is like, we need to be. This is our opportunity, mankind's opportunity to put Europe in its place. And, and <laughs> they think they're better than us. They think okay. they're so great. Um, I can just see that he just is looking at this in the sense of this is our chance. This is the chance to just to form a country that is essentially on par or better than Europe. Which is ironic because when not and, a generation before. So many of them took glory of the fact that they were part of the British Empire, this sophisticated enlightenment yeah. culture. Yeah. And now it's like they've they've never heard of it before. They're no. not we have nothing to do with it. They just they just he just wants to almost just just vindicate. He just he you feel like the, uh, the, the kid that got made fun of a bunch, uh, yeah. growing up, he got bullied yeah. growing up, and now he's back, and he's like, I'm gonna show you, I'm gonna pull up in my convertible, I'm just gonna roll in with all this money. 
and 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 everyone's jaws are gonna drop when I come into my high school reunion in twenty years. Okay, like <laughs> like that's that's the equivalent of what he's doing here. He's like the we, Federalist he's, Papers are <laughs> Alexander Hamilton's attempt to look better for his high school reunion. reunion. Yeah, down the road. <laughs> right? I mean, just just or any other time you can uh, you can think of, of of showing up all the people you used to know. Yeah, right. Like we used to be part of here, but not anymore. It's you know in the sense of that we were an extension of the colonies. Um, and this is our chance. We can vindicate it for the human race. And then if we could just make sure our dogs keep barking. Keep barking. Yeah, he mentions that's that. That's what he says. Yeah. The air in America is so bad, dogs will stop barking. <laughs> Which, let me tell you, I've had dogs. They continue to bark. Continue in this to bark. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware that. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that. It's, but that um, oh, that does seem to be a, a trend that runs through early America. That self consciousness. Oh. I remember reading once about the. That's meant dogs that couldn't bark. Yeah, dogs, and non-barking dogs. Or we reading once about the Lewis and Clark expedition, and yeah. one of the things that Jefferson demanded that Lewis and Clark do was this: whether does the send back drawings and samples of very large animals mm-hmm. because a, sim- a similar th- accusation that was going around Europe at the time was our, our, our the, animals are tiny our <laughs> animals couldn't get as big as European versions so this is like America is so inferior this is we like we have like dog sized <laughs> bears and deer that are they're larger than cats <laughs> and so that's sim- I'm a picture everything here in America is not as good <laughs> So, so we're having what and is our bears are bigger, damn it! They're bigger. We have big grizzly bears, but there's a European bear is a shame. This is like, it's like 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 a, like a um like a phallic argument, right? You it, know, like it seems to be you know, right. Yes. Like like mine's bigger than yours. Yeah, we have to find bigger. Ma- like, show them we can have big mountains and large bears. Large bears and big mountains. Yeah, you know, and they had and because Lewis and Clark could not have done this, just drawing. In a room on the East Coast, right? They had to explain they had to, it. They had to find the bears. <laughs> but no, what I'm saying, like, if all they wanted was drawings of large animals, like, I mean, you could make that up anywhere. But they had to be real because America has integrity. Oh, okay. We don't right. make up fake bears, You're Justin. Right. No it's fake America. news. It's not fake news, right? No Lucy fake news, no fake bears, no fake, fake news. But actual, you know, it's actual to drawings to scale of actual animals, right? Because yes. Lewis, I mean, they went out there. They measured the heights of the bears in the mountains. Uh, everything yeah. was all to scale in their drawings when they sent them back. No, they had key, they had keys. <laughs> if you could find real bears and send the real bears back, great. Yeah, okay. If not, <laughs> it'd be realistic. Right. But you know, it's similar too to the sense of inferiority that the early America often had. Mm-hmm. Of like, are we going to be? We've got to prove that we're as sophisticated and as good as Europe. You know. Uh, I had the privilege of visiting uh, Monticello yeah. a, a week or so back, and one of the things that was interesting there was Jefferson. One of his real impetus, uh, one of the real impetuses he had in designing Monticello, which was so nice and elaborate and fancy, was he felt like he had to go out of his way to make this really fancy mansion house mm-hmm. to show that Americans could have fancy houses just like they had in Europe. Okay. I mean, fan, you know, the yeah. state that would live up to what. You know the the grounds of somewhere that a nobleman lived yeah. in Britain, and we don't so just we, live we can in have a bunch nice of stuff log cabins. It's not hovels, right? Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, you know, somewhere yeah. too with American literature, American songs, yeah. and they're very Europeans were always saying, "Well, there's nothing but a bunch of ignorant farmers there in America." Mm-hmm. So, and then he, Hamilton closes here, and he goes, "You know, America would, uh, and the force that we'd create here uh, would be able to dictate the terms of the." connection between the old and the new world and i think that i found particularly interesting that here we have at least one of the founding fathers 
you know, arguing for globalism. Mm-hmm. Okay, and there's a big. I mean, right? We're gonna we're gonna be the one that dictates how the new world and the old world connects through this commerce and this domination through a navy and the commerce. Okay, we're not gonna remain isolated and and have an isolated economy. We're gonna go out into the world. We're gonna go out back to Europe, and and we're gonna set the set the scene. We're gonna set the prices. We're gonna set the commerce. We're gonna set the trade. We're gonna impose our will on the economies of others. And I gotta throw I gotta throw Hamilton a bone here. At well, the I'm, not, end of, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him. Yeah, you know what I mean. I just I, I, I'm, you know, I'm actually gonna have to agree with you on this. Yeah. Thing. So unlike I, everything else, I'm unlike everything else. Yeah. Thing. Okay. And so it's just interesting because like we're, there's so much of that conversation in today's world. Okay. Of of focus f- focusing back internally versus versus you know nationalism versus globalism mm-hmm. and what should America's role be and here in Paper Eleven you see at least. Hamilton's point, which is America is to go out and dominate and dictate the economies of the world. And and I thought that when and that at least we have the power to be able to and we're gonna go do it, is is, is what he's saying. And I just I thought and in the context just really of really over optimistic about his timeline. Okay, all right, yeah. But <laughs> you know <laughs> Well you look anyway, when have you ever I mean I was just talking to you, I you know started a landscaping project at the beginning of the summer and I'm like, I'll knock this out in a couple weeks. You know, three months later I'm finally done. Okay, so yeah. you know, I you know, well, I'm not gonna fault him for maybe Overestimating how fast things can occur. I know I've done I guess that he myself. He didn't put a timeline on it, you know. He eventually was proven right in uh, it took 150 years, mm-hmm. but what do you call the World Trade Organization and the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund mm-hmm. and the G7? Mm-hmm. Those are all American. You know, those those type of things are Western American creations. Yeah, and they dictate a lot of the terms of international commerce today, like it or not. Um, but at the time, I feel like Hamilton we've was got, wildly optimistic about what he thought we were going oh, to well, I mean, achieve that, with just the mere sign just, of the Constitution. You know, a few, few dozen ships and then a brand new Navy, and we're going to go out there and, and, roll, they were good roll, ships, and roll over people. But there's man. only it's, a very small <laughs> number of them. <laughs> so, look. My, but They're my, very busy little ships. But my point in this, which caught my ear and my eye this time, was in the context of all of the debate of the present moment that you and I are in, where we're talking about, you know, constantly news, globalization versus nationalism, and which way should America be leaning, and which way should be going, here is a clear example of at least what Alexander Hamilton, founding father, says the Constitution in the new United States, once mm-hmm. ratified, should and could and should be going to go and do and, 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 and dominate Europe economically. Um, and I just thought that was interesting when thinking about the current arguments being floated around, and here you have guidance from the Founding Fathers. Yeah. I will give him credit for what he saw as potential, what America could do. Mm -hmm. Where I would tend to disagree with him is he seems to imply that the mere unification of America under the Constitution would get most of that done. And what history actually showed was that it took the Constitution plus some good decisions over the course of 20 or 30 years for America ever, to chart out where it needed to be. But I think that's a positive message of showing that it starts with what the Founding Fathers did, yeah. and it's up to us as their descendants to get us closer and closer to what 
the potential that America could reach and make it and accomplish that. And I think that that was first that this this paper is a good example of it because it is. I certainly think that the American Navy now could take on the best of the Navy back in 1787. <laughs> We've definitely yes. done a better job. Yes. Oh. This is not to disparage the gunboat Philadelphia or any of the Revolutionary War ships. Do you have a favorite um, 1780s frigate? Uh, uh, well, my favorite frigate, obviously, is going to be the uh, USS Constitution, which is in that curly Boston. It's a, a, generally, American... The Americans did have a good, us as Americans did have a good idea back then of mm-hmm. we can't make our ships as numerous as the enemy. We can make them better. We're, and those, they were dang good frigates. They Quality were, over quantity. They were, I believe they were 44 gun frigates. They mm-hmm. had more guns and firepower than any British frigate. And they were fast maneuverable enough to run the heck away from anything that was bigger than a frigate. There you go. So uh, my personal story with the USS Constitution, although I have not been to it uh, as a child, I attempted to build a model of it. And for those model builders out there, um, you know, building the entire model prior to painting the individual pieces, uh, not you, not a good idea. No, you got to do it in the right order. <laughs> you do have to do it in the right order. Yeah. And I learned that order <laughs> when. <laughs> After having spent my money and bought, I was so excited to have yes. <laughs> the model. Uh, I went home and built it, and it was all uh, a light tan. And then attempted to paint it, and repaint it, and repaint it, and repaint it, and and uh, in certain sections, and uh, it was quite difficult. Uh, it came out okay. So not your as, story not as of good. building the U.S. Constitution <laughs> is much like the building of the U.S. Navy as a whole. It was an experience of trial and error. It was. It was, and you know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's uh, maybe well that's where we'll leave this episode for today. I know it's a little I bit shorter, so. I think but that, um, uh, we're you know, ready to pull in the port now. There we go. We'll we'll pull in the port. <laughs> so well, thanks for joining us yes. for episode eleven. We'll see you in episode twelve, wherein we will actually talk about what we've been teasing: the resurgence of the rivers and hams, <laughs> and how they will affect the revenue of the United States of America. There you go. Uh, thanks again, everybody. We'll uh, we'll see you the next time. Mm-hmm.